This is the Relevant Life Church podcast, where we are about connecting with God, relating to people, and reaching our world. Tune in as our church goes through this week's teaching in God's Word. Praise the Lord. As I look out, I see that there are many faces that are away from us. I know that there are a lot of, a lot of sicknesses going around, as well as I... Uh, the threat of snow, I think, probably intimidated some. So uh, we're, we're glad that you made it to church today, and uh, I'm excited. Thank you so much for everyone that made church function last week, our staff that stepped in and did everything that they did. Uh, as you can tell, I'm representing Mickey Mouse today. We were in Disneyland last week and had an amazing time, but you guys did an amazing job, and so glad that you were faithful. Uh, we were faithful in Disneyland. We really were, and uh, thank you thank you for being faithful here. Um, before we left, the Sunday before we left, uh, well, uh, yeah, the Sunday before, Sunday before we left, two weeks ago, we had a pie dessert auction. Anybody want to know how much we made? I got three of you that want to know how many we made. Can we talk about above and beyond? Everyone say above and beyond. We, we, they, the ladies, whoa, almost dropped my phone. That is skill right there. $5,354.35. Isn't that amazing? Amazing. That's going to go help offset the women's spring retreat as well as a portion of that goes to our Hope Pregnancy Center here in Salem. So thank you so much for participating and being part of that. And uh, we're excited to be excited. How many of you are enjoying the Christmas decorations? Both we, we came back and uh, Christmas showed up, and so thank you so much for making that happen. I just also want to draw your attention to Jingle Jam in two weeks. You do not want to miss Jingle Jam this year. It's always unique and always fun, but this is going to be an amazing year. And you want to go on on the church app and get your free uh, tickets reserved so that you're able to be here. We've been in a series above and beyond. Everyone say above and beyond. Uh, one of our our fall series that we do, and our the emphasis this year has been. Uh, uh, faithfulness and tithing, faithfulness and giving, the 90-day challenge. Maybe those of you that uh, haven't haven't tithed, you start tithing. And uh, we've seen many people that have stepped in to do that. We've seen those of you that have increased your tithes. Uh, but to kind of bring us full circle today, it's so exciting because if you remember last year, we did Above and Beyond, and we raised $53,000, right? There should be some excitement about $53,000. $53,000 for Speed the Light vehicles. Uh, one of those represented, is represented here today. And Joel uh, Slater is here without his family, but we're loving on them anyway. But Joel's here, and we were able to provide a Speed the Light vehicle for him, right? So that's exciting. And I love it because he's coming right in the middle of our Above and Beyond series once again. Uh, God is a God who is always above and beyond, and Joel's going to tell us some stories today, I believe, because he kind of shared some with me, of how God is above and beyond in Africa. Uh, there's some things that have been going on, taking place. Would you welcome Joel Slater to the platform today? Wow. Good morning. Sawabona and Sani Bonani. That is Zulu for hello. Sawabona is to an individual, and Sani Bonani is to everyone. And I want to say a huge ngongoba. It's a tongue twister thing of saying thank you in Zulu. You have no idea 
how good it is to be here today and to be connected with you, whether you're here in person or online. I just want to say on behalf of my family from, from Durban, South Africa, how much we appreciate Relevant Life Church. Three and a half years ago, whether you remember it or not, we stood on this platform and we described a call to the nation of Malawi in southern Africa, one of the poorest, most least developed nations in, on the continent. They had a big vision to be the missionary sending nation of Africa. And, and because of your partnership, you sent us and you sent us to Africa. And how like so often, you know, in your life, you know, uh, life takes some twists and turns. And you recognize that sometimes you have to, you know, be willing to flex. You need to be bend. You need to say that, you know what, what's my will is not your will, God. And so we had to make a very difficult decision after about a year to recognize that our youngest child, Jasper, uh, was on the autism spectrum and needed some intervention sooner rather than later. Malawi was not able to provide that as much as they would hope they could. And so we had to make a difficult decision. Either come home to the United States and see what God has for us, or to say, God, you're the one that opens doors. You're the one that makes a way where there seems to be no way. And he did, and he made, a, made an opportunity for us to remain on the African continent, to relocate to Durban, South Africa, on the eastern coast, and to participate in, a, in an experiment called Urban Tribes. Urban Tribes is recognizes that um, Africa is the fastest urbanizing continent in the world, and that people are flocking to cities to seek employment, to seek opportunity, to seek a new life. And there, they are incredibly vulnerable. They're, they could be exploited. They can be, they can be moved into human tracking, trafficking, and, and all sorts of atrocities. And, and so we recognize that the light of the gospel, as people are going to those cities, it needs to be there. And so we joined Urban Tribes, and we, we participated in their flagship, taking our 19 years of pastoral ministry and contributing to establishing a church plant to reach the influencers of South Africa, which is the influencing nation of the continent. And for a year, God, God allowed us to, to contribute both in, in discipleship uh, you know, programs and to develop some technology. They have an app. There's an app at, at that church. It's amazing. And uh, that was fun to participate in. But, but part of it was to develop a business as ministry strategy, to create an, uh, an event center for people to, to conduct their ceremonies, which are very, very, very important to them. The ability to have a large gathering for a wedding or, more importantly, a funeral. Or also to create a business center where, where single moms and, and, and young people, the entrepreneurs of Africa, the new Africa that you may not know exists, to create their online business, to develop their website, to, to develop their business to improve their life by renting a desk or a, or a conference room or a workstation or to utilize a, a media studio that, that is being set up. And we were asked to participate in the development of that. And, and as Pastor Kevin said, it was remarkable because of generosity, because of people who, who believe that if you take care of the things God cares about, he'll take care of the things that you care about. And God cares about the lost. God cares about the nations. God is a missionary God. From the very beginning to the very end, God is a, is a missionary God. I love the saying that says, God only had one son, and he made him a missionary. He crossed out of the, he stepped out of his culture of heaven, and he walked amongst us. He learned our language. He learned our culture and everything. And then he said, let me translate God culture to you. If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. That's missionary work. And if Jesus was a missionary, why are we not? And so God cares about that. And we saw that if you take care of the things God cares about, he'll take care of the things you care about. And we stepped out in faith and we invited churches to participate. And in, in, the less, in less than a, a six months, I believe, we raised a quarter of a million dollars. A quarter of a million dollars 
that has established a church, has established a coffee shop amongst the, the, the car dealerships and the, and, the, and the local businesses around to come to Urban Tribes Coffee Company and to, to engage in the, and say, this is, this is church like I've never seen before. And people are coming to salvation. We did a baptism service uh, a year ago, February, where we had 15 people come to get baptized in water. And then the pa- Pastor Randy invited people just like the Ethiopian eunuch. You remember that story? That he, he heard the gospel and then he said, well, what's stopping me? Here's some water. What, what's stopping me from being baptized? And so we opened up the opportunity and we had about another 15 people rush to the altar in their clothes. Like we actually ran them back, changed some clothes so they have some dry clothes, keep, brought them back and baptized. And while we were about finishing, this one guy just lumbers up. He's wearing a beautiful silk shirt, nice pants, nice expensive shirt, wallet, keys, a cell phone. And he just climbs in. He just climbs in to the baptism and he drops down and everything. And, and, I, and just as he was going under, I stuck my hand in his pants and pulled out his phone. You know, I was like, okay, but whoa, you know, yeah, pr- protect that, you know. But he was, he was all in. He was all in. And you just see God moving in miraculous ways. And God continues to move. God continues to move in the sense that, uh, you know, he moved us out of that, recognizing we made a contribution, raised a quarter of a million dollars, uh, set that up and, and helped in that way. And then now the Lord has given us an opportunity to move around the entire nation. That I'm based in Durban, but I go up to Pretoria, and I move up into Rustenburg in the northwest province. Then I've been to a little town called Cape Town, and you know, we, and all the way in between. I've been to Limpopo, I've been to Mpumalanga, I've been to Eastern Cape, and, 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 and focusing on and fulfilling the Great Commission, which is to go and make disciples. We're not called to make believers, we're called to make disciples. We're called to to develop people and help them to be a disciple, a learner of Jesus, learning to be like Jesus and learning to do the things that Jesus would do. That's what a disciple is. And, And it's all because of what you do. It's all because of what you do. There's no way we could do it. We, our term, our first term as, as, as missionaries in Africa was supposed to be up in August. But we knew because of the change, the tran- transition from Malawi to South Africa, we knew our time wasn't up. And so we, 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 we petitioned and we asked for an extension. He says, allow us to stay one more year. And so, and because, because of the, the goodness of our, of our team and the generosity of your church and others like you that enables us to do that. But even then you go even further. And I can't tell you, Pastor Kevin, what it was to get that notice that you had raised the money for our Speed the Light vehicle. you got to understand, we already had a vehicle. But policies change and everything, and we, we had to leave a vehicle in Malawi. We can't bring it to South Africa. We're stuck. We're, we're dead in the water. We're borrowing vehicles. We're renting vehicles. You have no idea what it's like to be unleashed. To be unleashed to get that message into like, oh my word, on top of everything else. I mean, you even sent us a care package last summer. I was like, oh my word. Wow, does it ever stop? I hope not, but it, it does. And I'm telling you, it's like you have no idea what it's, what it's like to be unleashed like that. And I'm here today to try to pay it forward. I can't repay you, but boy, I can, I can try to pay it forward and let somebody else experience your generosity and your blessing. It is absolutely amazing. I remember that Sunday three and a half years ago, and, and you know, the, you know, Trent and Allie, you have no idea how much you've touched my daughters. Just, you just are un, unlimited in your, your beauty and expression. We, we love it that you like our Facebook posts and our Instagram posts. I mean, you have no idea what that means to us, that connection that fuels us. To go forward, because I got to be honest with you, I remember when we stood here and, and we remembered your welcome and we remembered your generosity, but I also remember our idealistic mentality of going to the mission field. 
oh, we're going to Africa. We're going to go to Africa. We're going to go be missionaries in Africa. And I had no idea um, what I was going to learn because any missionary that has had a term on the field will tell you that, that it's easy to say, but it's so hard to do. You go, and after, the, after like the, 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 the honeymoon phase, right, it's like, oh, my word, it's beautiful, and oh, my word, I've never seen those animals, and oh, my word, I mean, it's Africa, and the sounds, and the smells, and, you know, I didn't know, wow, I didn't know that smell could exist. Uh, you know, it, it, after a while, it, they tell you, it, it wears out, and you hit a wall, and you recognize that life is harder. Everything breaks, Everything breaks all the time. I mean, it's like, it's like the boy at the dike trying to stick his fingers in all these holes. And I just, I would turn around and something would break. And I'm smelling something burning in, my, in the little pantry area. And then I discover it's the, it's the, it's the master uh, circuit and everything that's caught on fire. And it's been a slow burn and it's going to go up and burn my house down. I mean, like, I didn't, what, what? what? I mean, it's just, you never know what's going to happen. Life is harder. Life, it's just different on the field. And there's this thing called culture shock. I mean, like I heard about culture shock. They trained us in culture shock. You don't know what culture shock is. It's like drowning and it is, it's like suffocating and it's like being buried alive. It's being like tied up and like being rolled down a hill. You don't know which end is which and it's miserable. It's awful. Now, I, it's easy to say we're going to go be missionaries. And if you have a call of God on your life to the mission field, don't let me discourage you. Just hang with me, okay? All right. There's always more to the story. But that initial thought that, you know, to say we're going to do it is so much easier than actually to go and do it. And that's not to say that we regret it. You know, it's interesting the language says, because like our message was life begins at the end of your comfort zone. You don't know what you're capable of. You don't know what you can do until you step out of that comfort zone. There is no comfort in the growth zone, but there's no growth in the comfort zone. And so you have to make that choice. And we, and we made that choice, but it's easy to say rather than actually do it. It's easier to say it than actually do it. And you know what I'm talking about. You know, in your relationships, you know, in this Christmas season, they talk about peace on earth, goodwill towards men. And, and maybe you know that this is the time. If there's ever a time to make reconciliation with a relationship, it would be this time. It's a beautiful time. It's completed. But you know what? It's, it's easy to say that, but it's harder to do, isn't it? You know, it, when it comes into your education, you know that maybe, you know, as a student, I see a lot of students here, and it's like, you know, you need, you, you have potential. You have potential. But, you know, it's going to take a little work. It's, it's easy to say I'm going to work harder at school and everything, but then you actually have to do it. You have to say no to some things now so you can say yes to some things later. And so, you know, you think about, you know, in your, in your vocation, you know, it's like, you know, you don't know if you're supposed to stay in that job. It's just hard. It's hard to be a Christian in that job. It's hard to be godly in that job. And you got a choice. You know, do you, do, you, you, do you take the upward path of mobility or you do the ethical thing that might hold you back? It's easy to say you're going to be a light in a lost world. It's easy to be you're going to be salt of the earth and everything, but then it's harder to do it. In your finances, you're going to put God first, you know, but then at the end of the, you know, there's more month than the money. You know, in your health. I came, to a, I came to a personal crisis this last year where I had to make some severe changes in my health, which means I'm going to have to get up earlier. I'm going to have to go exercise every day. I'm going to have to say no to some things I love to eat. I can't eat like an 18-year-old, you know, as much as I want to and everything because I got, I just, it's easier to say I'm going to get healthy, but it's so harder. It's so much harder. And you know how it is in every way, shape, and form, even in our society. It's one thing to say you're going to be a witness in this community, but it's a lot harder to do. In every single case, we recognize that. And I have to be honest, it was surreal when we were first in Malawi and then in Africa during the pandemic. To watch what was going on in Africa, it was scary. It was the unknown. But actually in Malawi, they denied it even existed because they deal with things like Ebola. 
hemorrhagic fever, malaria on a daily basis. So they're worried about COVID. You know, it was this unknown, but they're like, we deal with everything every day. So it wasn't a big deal there. But we watched America. We watched you from afar. And it was really interesting because at the end of the day, um, from an outside perspective, from what the church was doing, the church did, has done, always done a great job, I feel, of crafting a good uh, what to say. But we saw the tension and how the world watched and questioned what the church often did. And it doesn't have to stay that way, though. And I'm, I'm inviting us to imagine a world where people that are skeptical of what we believe, what we say we believe, but they're envious of how we treat each other. And they're absolutely amazed at how well we treat them. They're like astonished that people that we, that we, we they would assume are our enemies and we treat them as friends. That we would be, that we would, we would be absolutely, we would shock and awe them with this counterintuitive behavior towards them, even if they are our enemies that we would love them anyway. And I will tell you that long before there was a Bible, the early church just had a way, an expression of faith that captured the attention of the world because of how, not what it said, there was plenty of philosophies in the world, but how they behaved, especially in its radical generosity and its compassion. They were shocked and awed. They said, you know, they, there's studies that show that the first public welfare system was started by a Roman emperor, and the only reason that he started that, that, that public uh, welfare system was because he recognized the Christians were not only taking care of their own, but they were taking care of pagans as well. And the emperor said, if we don't get on this bandwagon, if we don't start taking care of people, we're going to lose them all to the Christians. Isn't that remarkable? that the state welfare system was started in competition with the early church because they were radical in their compassion and generosity. And I would think that maybe it's, this is needed now more than ever. But let me take a quick poll real quickly. How many of you have heard of the Great Commission? Matthew 28, 19, 20. Go into all the world, preach the gospel to every living creature, teaching them all that I've commanded you and baptizing them in the name of the Father. So you've heard of that. How many? Just real quick, I just need to kind of this, otherwise you're going to derail my message. <laughs> all right, great. All right, now let me ask you this. You've heard of it and everything. How many of you are doing it? How many of you are actively participating in one way, shape, or form? You're either going you're, or you're sending. Because there's people that go and said, that's fantastic. That's really interesting. And that's encouraging. Because, you know, a new book has just come out by George Barna. And it's, 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 the book's called The Great Disconnect, Reclaiming the Heart of the Great Commission in Your Church. And George Barna, Barna the king of, you know, stats, church stats, reveals a lot of misconceptions and inconsistencies that are happening in the U.S. church when it comes to perception and approach to missionary work. Um, I think it's on the screen, but if it's not, I'm just going to read it. 85% of pastors surveyed view missions as a biblical mandate. That's great, 85%. However, only 53% of practicing Christians report even having heard of the Great Commission, much less participating in it. And Barna goes even, data goes even further. That reveals that, that Christians may find exceptions, in other words, loopholes, excuses in Jesus' parting command. And they tend, statistics show that 51% tend to believe missions is a calling for some, and only 25% believe it's a mandate for all. And that's not how I read the Bible. I don't see Jesus saying, hey, just, you know, hey, for, for, for you know, 51% of you, just, just stop listening for a second. I want to talk to the 23% here. He's like, no, that's, that's, not, that's not how it worked. And yet there's a disconnect. In other words, many, while many pastors and churches, and, and thank God RLC is not one of those, so you, know, you can excuse yourself, but again, you realize that at the end of the day, you know, we have some work to do. Many pastors and churches say they believe in the Great Commission, but the data shows that it's much harder to get people to actually do the Great Commission. 
even though it's pretty clear that Jesus wasn't giving an exception or a suggestion, he was giving a command. And of course, not everyone is going to go overseas. Please hear me on that. Not, not, I don't want to be that where I, I was subjected to that. It was like, if you're not going to, to Africa, then you're not hearing from God. I am not saying that at all. Oh, please don't hear, let me hear you say that. But at the end of the day, while you may not go overseas, while you may not cross cultures, every single one of us is called to be involved in the mission that God has set for, for his church. And it's also clear, according to Scripture, that the orienting of our entire life, not only our spiritual, but our material, our relational life, around the needs of others is not an option, but it's a fundamental characteristic of an authentic Christ follower. You know, so often, you know, today, you know, being a Christian can mean so many things. I Technically, I minister in a Christian country. But at the end of the day, Jesus said, you will know, they will know you are my disciples by your fruit. They will know that you are my disciples by your fruit. And the question is, is that someone can say they're a Christian, but the fruit of their, their life, does it actually prove it? Shane Pruitt said this, a Christianity that gets you into heaven while allowing you to continue living however you want here on earth is a Christianity foreign to the New Testament. The gospel changes who you are, and then it also changes what you do. It changes who you are, and then it orients everything on what you do. And this is how we ought to be characterized, but better yet, this is how we ought to be recognized. Now, the interesting thing is that this tension of knowing what to say, and again, having all the answers, and even knowing what to believe, but yet struggling with what to actually do is not a new tension. Back in the, back in the New Testament, it, it, it's a problem that even the early church dealt with in its early years. And I want us to look at this and find a path forward. So I want you to turn to the book of 1 John and chapter 3. And so this little letter of 1 John chapter 3, starting in verse 11, and I want to play tour guide for a moment. And I want to give you some background. I love, I love to understand the why behind the what. I love to understand the reasoning behind a letter. And I felt that this was, this was absolutely fascinating. So some background to help it make it understand and make it easier but not easy. Some things, I'm going to help you make it easier, but it's not going to be easy uh, to not just say that we value missions, we value compassion, we value generosity, but to find an easier way to be more effective in doing it. You see, understand that this book was written about AD 100, about 100, uh, you know, AD 100, and certain things had happened to the early church, uh, especially in a place like Ephesus, Really cool that someone read from the book of Ephesians. I thought, wow, okay, we're on the right page, all right? So let's go back to Ephesus. And this is, that's where this letter was written. And, and many people, you have to understand that by AD 100, that we're talking second or third generation Christians, all right? So the first wave, the starter church, the church plant, all excitement, all passion, you know, entrepreneurial, uh, you, know, you know, pioneering. They, they, they set out, they challenged, they saw Jesus rise from the dead. They're full of faith and they're, they're you know, Peter has been transformed. He's full of the Holy Spirit. You know, the one that had been intimidated by a little girl simply saying, aren't you one of his followers? And he just panicked. Suddenly he's standing before the, the Sanhedrin saying, we must obey God rather than men. I mean, who is this guy? Something had happened to them. But by this time, by this time, they're all gone. By this time, they've all been martyred. John is the last man standing. John is, is, is he's like, this, this, he's the only one left. And he's dealing with second and third generation Christians. And they, he's discovering that the thrill of those first days has somewhat gone away. That now it's become routine. You know, now it's become, you know, a pattern. Now Christianity become a thing of habit. Going to church, worshiping, it was just part of everyday ordinary life. And it had, it had lost some of its excitement. 
And when that happens, some things happen. You look for excitement, don't you? You look for a way to stir things up, to become fresh, to become new. And within that became, came a threat. And John recognized that it was becoming harder and harder to stand out against the world and to refuse to conform to the generally accepted standards and practices of the age. In fact, the studies show that they're saying, you know, the, 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 the most foundational tenets of Christianity were no longer exciting. And then we say, we need, to, we need to improve this. We need to, you know what? We have an opportunity to make Christianity respectable. We have opportunity to make Christianity uh, intellectual and, to, and to, be, to compete against the other philosophies. But in order to do that, we're going to have to put away some of these childish things. We're going to have to be smart with our resources. We're going to have to be strategic with our resources. We're going we're to have to do things in a better way. And into this, this situation, John is, 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 is pointing out a few things. And it's interesting in this letter, John says that the threat to the church was not, the, the peril was, the threat was not coming from outside persecution. It wasn't the pagan church trying to suppress the church. The threat was coming from inside. It was from, from amongst the people that began to make arguments such as, well, you know, it, 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 tithing is an Old Testament thing. Tithing's not in the New Testament. You know, like, you know, God doesn't care about my money you know, like that, that, that's, that's Old Testament things. And, and I'm just using that as a quick example for, for time. But you began a pattern that had been from the very beginning all the way through the end was suddenly they're there saying, well, that's, that's Old Testament. That's legalism. We don't really need to do that. You know, even to the point where I live in South Africa, because of the, the ravages and the, the evils of apartheid, the, 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 the tension of decolonizing is huge, of decoupling from anything and everything that has to be, has to, that is, that's related to Western world or Western Christianity and such, and this idea of we don't need missionaries, or we don't need your gospel. You know, there, there, there's tension there. And at the end of the day, we know that the gospel transcends culture. We know that the gospel transcends color. We know the gospel is for all people. And it's not an American thing. It's not a Western thing. It's a God thing. And yet we see these philosophies from inside the church are, are trying to decouple this and create disunity and fracture. And we, we see that the, 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 oftentimes the threat is, you can recognize the threat from the outside, but we oftentimes don't recognize the threat from the inside. And that's what John's wanting to talk about. In fact, he's echoing what Paul warned in Acts 20, where it said, after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking perverse things, to draw away the disciples after them. And so the question is, well, in this context, what were the disciples being drawn from? And that's where we see John uh, speaking. He says, he says in verse 11 of chapter 3, he goes, For this is the message you heard from the beginning. In other words, from the very beginning of, 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 the, of the church, from Jesus, this, don't, first things first, remember the fundamental message. This is the message you have heard from the beginning. We should love one another. We should love one another. There is no way of telling what a tree is other than by its fruit. In, in Pumalanga, in, in one of the, the eastern provinces, there are just swaths of trees. It is like the Garden of Eden. I mean, it is absolutely gorgeous. And I've driven, you know, 120 kilometers down the road, and I see nothing but these trees. And I have no idea what they are. They could be orange trees. They could be lemon trees. And yet, my, one of my, 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 my colleagues says, oh, those are macadamia trees. Macadamia nuts are the cash crop of, of, of southern Africa now. They're going everywhere. I would have never known it. Until you see the fruit. And at the end of the way, there's no way of telling what a person is other than by their conduct. You can say anything, and that's one of the problems of the church today, that we have a bunch of people that have gotten up and said this, that, and the other, and yet their lives are completely incongruent with it. And the people don't care what we say, but they care exactly what we do. Right. 
And someone said, life reveals the children of God. In other words, the pressure points and the, and the challenges of your life are going to reveal what, what God, you know, if, is God in your life. And so Charles J. Wright said, if our mission is to share good news, then we need to be good news people. If we preach transformation, we need to show some evidence of what transformation looks like. But John's approach to illustrating what is that transformation looks like is not what we expect. And he says something really strange, and I hope I can articulate this. In verse 12, he says, do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. Okay, I'll try to resist that impulse. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteousness. Now, I had to ask, like, where is this? Love one another, but don't try to murder each other, right? That's the tension. But we're... John is a mystic. In other words, he, he is someone that is hit, literally is the one that laid his head against the, the chest of Jesus. He walked with Jesus. He talked with Jesus. He, he had insight into, into Jesus' uh, truths from a personal point of view. But he's also very practical. He's got a very practical mind. He knows that we can talk about love. We can talk about compassion in these generalities. But if we don't define it, I don't know if we're going to hit it. And so at the end of the day, he gets very practical. And he won't leave this idea of loving each other vague and undefined. Because you have to remember to Jesus, to not love is the same as to be a murderer. He says even if you hate someone emotionally, you're actually murdering them in your heart. He actually elevated it. He didn't, you're not going to kill them physically, but you're going to kill that relationship. You're going to kill that opportunity. You're going to kill that person's second chance. I mean, at the end of the day, to hate is to be a murderer in Jesus' eyes. And Jesus said that the old law forbade murder, but he said, I give you a new commandment. This, I give you a new commandment. Declare that anger, bitterness, contempt were just as serious sins. Part of our discipleship program, one of the things we're concerned about is you're monitoring your sensitivity. Like, are you hardened? And I can tell you, I live, we have to read a book about how African friends and money matters because you are relentless, because you're an American, because you're a missionary, you have money, and you relentlessly ask for this. And it is so hard to keep a thick skin but a tender heart. When the needs are constant, when they're banging on your gate every single day, and they come to you every day, and they're asking you for the moon, and they have absolutely no compulsion to ask because they have nothing to lose and everything to gain. It is so hard to keep a sensitive heart. And at the end of the day, I, I recognize that this can be a, you know, with all the needs and all the pressures, it can be easy to begin to let anger, bitterness, or just contempt build up in our lives. But wherever there's hatred in our heart, a man becomes a potential murderer of an opportunity or relationship. To allow hatred, or even worse, indifference, to settle in the heart is to break a definite command of Jesus. And then he drops the remark, don't be surprised, my brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. That's kind of another swing. And, but what he's saying here is like, look, at the end of the day, when we do good in the name of Jesus, when we, are, when we do biblical good and everything, the world's going to question us and they may hate us. Like, why are you using the money that way? What a waste. You know, I've had people say, why are you have, inviting people to send money overseas? We have plenty of needs over right, here in the, right here locally. And at the end of the day, I say it's not an either or. It's a both and. It's a both and. At the end of the day. But can we say currently that the world hates us the way it hated Jesus? Can we honestly say that if, if the world's going to hate us, do they hate us for the right reasons? You see, in, that, in this pandemic, it was just, it was just, it was just an unusual thing to watch as, as, as the church divided and people took sides and families took sides. And, and, you know, and we fought over things that we didn't understand and we were so confident in what we stood for. And at the end of the day, you know, the, people, the, the, the world is looking at us and saying, you know, you're the church and you say you have the, the, the answer to life and everything. And yet you're fighting with each other. I'm not sure if I want to be part of that. 
I get enough of that at home. Why, would I gonna, why am I going to double up on it in the church? And so at the end of the day, how do we tell the difference? How do we tell the difference? If they're going to hate us, how do we tell the difference? John gives us the litmus test. Verse 14 says, we know we have passed from death to life when we love each other. When we know that it's not about what people can do for us, but, but because of what Jesus has done for us, that we can give freely, we can give generously, we can give without worrying. Another way of putting it is we know we have encountered the true God and his power because our attitudes and our actions towards each other reflect Jesus' attitudes and actions. Now, you might want to push back and say, well, you know what, at the end of the day, you don't have to worry about me. I don't hate anyone, and I'm, that's good. But can I challenge that assumption? Can I just challenge for a quick, and I'm not accusing, I'm just asking us to do a heart check, if, for, if not for now, but for some time later. Do you know what's worse than hate? It's apathy. See, when you hate, you get angry. And when you get angry, you want to do something about it. But apathy is when you don't want to do anything. And sometimes what we do is that we alleviate our conscience by feigning ignorance. And we say, well, I would love to love, but I just don't quite understand it, so I guess I won't. I don't want to make a mistake, so I guess I just will err on the side of caution and not do anything. But John's answer is this, verse 16. This is how we know what love is. In other words, very practical. This is how we know that love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. The total and absolute extent of Christ's love for you and me is embodied in the cross. No one can look at Christ, no one can look at Jesus and say, I don't know what love is. They can't look at Jesus and not know what Christian love is, and therefore, we don't know what love does. He laid down his life on the cross and we may say, well, okay, that's, that's great, but you know, quite honestly, I'm not really in a circumstance where I'm gonna have to die for someone, right? So how do I fulfill or follow through on this, on this command? And John's answer says, I'm so glad you asked. Because he says, when you see your brother in need, when you have enough, to give him of what you have is to follow Christ. But to, conversely, to shut your heart, to refuse to give, is to show that the love of God, which was in Christ and which was demonstrated to you, has no place in you. You see, by international standards, if you make $30,000 a year as a household, you are in the 1%. You're in the 1% if you have $30,000 a year. And the implications are real. I'm not here to make you feel guilty. By saying that, you know what, God, you know, it's incredible. Believe me, I love coming home. I love water. I love the fact that the lights stay on. I live in a country that we are actually on a schedule and they shut our power off depending on which part of the neighborhood you are for two hours a day at least. And it's gone up to six hours a day because the, where you get electricity is breaking down. And so I love the fact you get clean water out of a wall. I love that lights stay on. But at the end of the day, I'm not here to make you feel guilty. I'm just showing that we're, we're called to be responsible. We're called to be good stewards of what we have. John insists that we can find plenty of practical ways and opportunities to show the love of Christ in the life of the everyday person. Verse 17 says, If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? That version is pretty sterilized. If you look at the Greek, that word pity actually has a more graphic meaning. And I'm sorry, but again, sometimes, you know, familiarity breeds contempt. We just assume we know what it means. But that word pity is actually mean, literally means to shut up the bowels of him from him. In other words, to become constipated. In other words, if you see someone in need and you suddenly become financially constipated, you might be full of something. But it ain't the love of Jesus. That's what he's saying. That's what he's saying. He says, verse 18, dear children, let us not love with words or speech. 
let's not just stay there, but let us love with actions and in truth. Clever buzzwords, clever branding and phrasing are never going to take the place of generous and self-sacrificing deeds. And no amount of talk of Christian love will take the place of loving action. Never forget the simple equation that we can all easily say. It rolls off our tongue, but it's so much harder to do. It says, for God so loved the world that he gave. For God so loved the world that he told. For God so loved the world he branded. For God so loved the world he posted. <laughs> he tweeted, no. He gave. And I know it's easy to say this verse, but when we connect the dots with what we find so easy to say and what is so difficult to do, we have to come face to face with a choice. We can do what I seem to notice in this generation is to look for hermeneutical gymnastics and intellectual doctrine twisting, to try to downplay tithing, to downplay giving, to just like, you know, kind of really strong arm that idea. Or we can simply come face to face with something that in general we say we believe. Well, God so loved the world that he gave, but that Jesus requires us to go and do likewise. If Jesus gave his life for a person, what excuse do we have for not giving a few dollars? He gave his life. If seeing a need, if noticing a need causes us to freeze up, to lock up, to lock down, to shut down, to shut up, then the Apostle John would say to us, you don't quite get it yet, because that's the gospel. While we were enemies of God, while we had nothing to offer, while we weren't doing anything, he died for us. While we were his enemies, he made the first move. He offered. He's now in Jesus is simply saying, I want you to live a life that reflects that level of generosity. I love what you said. He, he bids us to come to that altar again. And I would follow up and say, but the beauty of that is he doesn't call us to crawl up in that altar and die physically, but he's just, he says, live. Live, but live with that freedom. Let that, that, that pent-up worry about where that dollar is going to come from and where that bill is going to be paid and where, 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 where that retirement is going to come from and everything. And at the end of the day, let those worries die. And I'm not asking you to be irresponsible, but I stand here today as, as, as living proof of someone who, who bought, you know, buys high and sells low. I, I'm not a businessman or anything, but the fact is that God has somehow helped us to be conduits of a quarter of a million dollars for, for, for a work that's now going to perpetuate work and perpetuate the gospel. And I live on faith every single day, folks, from your faithfulness. I mean, imagine a business plan where my ongoing support has to be from making a good impression and speaking for 15 to 30 minutes one time and then not you not seeing me for four years. The math doesn't add up. It doesn't make any sense. But if you take care of the things God cares about, he'll take care of the things you care about. And John is just simply, I want you to live a life that reflects that generosity. We may not know what to believe beyond our core. We may not know how to address every social issue in our world or find a solution, but we always know what we ought to do, and we always ought to know that what we do is we love one another with generosity. This is not the golden rule. The golden rule is do unto others what you would have them do to you. I live in South Africa. We have platinum mines. It's all called the platinum rule. Do for others like what has already been done for you. Don't just sing about it. Don't just preach about it, but do it. This isn't the bonus part of Christianity. This isn't the special forces version of Christianity. This isn't the, you know, the, the exception. This is the core. This is how you know 
you are a Christian. This is how you find your assurance of where you stand. You're not buying your way into heaven, but you're recognizing that what has been done in you will dictate what you do to others. It's not a prayer that you prayed. Because to the Apostle John, following Jesus and being compassionate in practical and tangible ways is practically synonymous. It's the same thing. John, cannot, John could not imagine a financially constipated Christ follower. And the assurance of where you stand with God, that you're walking in the Spirit, is the life that you live and the love that you do. And so at the end of the day, I know it's hard. It's easy to say. But it's so much better when it's done. Amen? There's no ambiguity. There's no confusion. What does love look like? Love one another. Love one another. Not just in speech and words, but in actions and in truth. And, and I'm here to affirm you today. You're doing it. Let no one here walk out and say, I don't know if I were doing it. You're doing it. And I commend you for it. So lead. Lead by example. Let your life so shine before all men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. And let other people be challenged. They may hate you for it. They may resent you for it. It may be envy, jealousy, or whatever. But you know what? If you're doing what you're supposed to be doing, let the Spirit convict them. But you lead the way and show the world that you love one another. Keep doing it, RLC. We love you. We appreciate you. Thank you, Pastor Kevin, for letting me share. God bless you today. Wow. Can you say wow? Uh, this is a, a perfect message for today, perfect message just to fit into our series, Joel, as well. Uh, Joel, Amy, we love you. Wow. Thank you so much for sharing your life with us, letting us share with you, being able to partner. Um, I loved his statement earlier on about our gift unleashed them to be able to fulfill their calling. Today, I feel compelled to unleash them a little bit more. Uh, as you preach, my heart just connects. I love Africa already. I'm sending you because I don't know if I want to go there to stay there. <laughs> but I love Africa. And uh, thank you for appreciating us for doing what, we can, what we've done. But can I tell you, church, we can do more. You hear me? Say we can do more. I'll say it with conviction this morning. We can do more. I love the passage of Scripture that you referred to in 1 John, where, but it said, when you see your brother in need and you have enough to give to him of what you have is to follow Christ. Today, I want to be a Christ follower. Do you want to be a Christ follower? We're in the middle of our series, Above and Beyond, and we've been challenging a lot of people to step out in tithing, to step out in generosity, to even give more to their tithe. But I want to also challenge you once again, um, maybe you have never given to a missionary, and I want to ask that you would go above and beyond today and give to a missionary. Would you go above and beyond today and give today to Joel and Amy in South Africa? Not just an off, we want the offering, but not just an offering. Maybe today you've never supported a missionary. I also want to invite you to join us in supporting Joel and Amy. Would you choose today to go above and beyond on a monthly basis for the next four years to support Joel and Amy? 
Can I tell you this service today is a return on our investment? Can I tell you how overjoyed I was to be able to hear him preach and to see what God's doing, hear some of the testimonies, and be able to go, we've been part of that. We unleashed them to help them do what they're doing. We provided a vehicle. And now look what they're able to do. Can I tell you, church, you're part of that. You're part, you're, you're going, you will reap in heaven what it is that we've invested. And today we want to give you an opportunity. If you want to give online, you can do so. Uh, go to our church app, go to 84321 and do it that way. Drop it in the green box back there, however you want to do it. Uh, most all of you know how, to, how that giving functions. So I want to pray over today. I want to pray over your hearts. I want to be a Christ follower. I want my actions to speak Jesus. I don't want my actions to speak American. I don't want my actions to speak my rights. I want my actions to speak Jesus. Amen. How about you? Across this room, if that's you, would you just lift your hands? God, in the name of Jesus, as we come, we want our lives to speak you. We want our actions to speak you. And God, today, you're asking for something very tangible, not just an ethereal idea, but something tangible. And so, God, today, we want to do the tangible part, and we want to give to bless Joel and Amy. God, we want to give to bless South Africa. We want to give to cause, that the cause of the gospel of Jesus Christ would go forward, and lives would be changed, and discipleship would happen. God, I thank you for Joel and Amy right now. Would you stretch your hand towards Joel? God, we thank you for Joel and Amy and their family who have so willingly sacrificed, so willingly have gone, who've set aside family, who've set aside so many different things that have endured the inconveniences of another country. God, for the gospel of Jesus Christ. I thank you, God, for the call, your call on their lives. And God, I thank you today for their obedience to go. God, would you pour out blessings upon their lives that they cannot contain? God, would you pour out abundance in health, in life, in relationship, in finances? God, in all of those little areas. God, would you fill every little hole of their lives right now, God, where there may be a longing for, for home or whatever, my homesickness. God, whatever it is that you know the deep desire of their hearts, God, would you meet it today? Would you surround them today, I pray? And God, today over our offering, over our lives, God, we give so willingly. God, we pray that you would just bring an abundance that we can bless them. God, that we would go above and beyond in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. God, we thank you for it. And everyone said... Amen, amen. Our prayer team is coming to the front right now. If you need prayer today, we believe in the power of prayer. We believe in the power of miracles. We believe that God can heal, restore, redeem. If you have a relationship that's broken, God can fix it. If you have a sickness, God can heal it. Amen. And we invite you to come and let these prayer warriors pray over you. Remember, we have a lot of activities happening in the month of December. You don't want to miss any of it. Make sure you're aware of all the things that are coming up and what you need to be registering for. And I'm excited to participate, to have Christmas with you, right? Do you love Jesus today? 
Make sure you take time to love one another as you walk out of this place. Don't just make a beeline out. Would you greet someone that you don't know? Would you relate to somebody that you have not talked to for a while? That's what it's all about. Amen. God bless you. Have a great day. Here at Relevant Life Church, it's our mission to see people connect with God, relate to one another, and reach our world. This single statement drives everything we do as a church. Our hope is that today you were encouraged in this. Thank you for joining us and have a blessed day.